0: Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I'm so thrilled that this is episode 99. So we are one away from 100. Uh, and I'm joined by my co-host tonight, Wilkie Law III. Will, what's going on? Yeah,
1: man. How's it going? Look, feeling good. Excited about everything going on right
0: now. Yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to getting into that. But we are super excited to have our friend, Lindsay Petlack, on the podcast. Lindsay, how are you?
2: I'm great and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much guys and can't wait to talk about a lot of really interesting topics.
0: Yeah, you know, it was so funny that we, you know, we met at Teacher Heart Out in Vegas and it was so funny because you live in and this is how small the world is. You live in the town that my sister and my brother-in-law used to live in Antioch, Illinois. And it's and it's so funny because <laughs> Antioch is I mean, it's only what about an hour from Chicago.
2: Yeah, it's well, depending on traffic. I mean, it could be three to four (laughs) hours. But, yes, it's – and where I live in Antioch is right by the major highway. So, I mean, you could technically get to the city in under an hour, definitely. We're about equal distance between Chicago and Milwaukee, which is really nice. But it's a small town for Chicagoland. And so the odds (laughs) – of anyone having relatives there is is pretty incredible
0: yeah i was there i was there twice um because my my nephew who actually turned three today not the day this will not the day this will air but the day the day we're recording and he turned three the first time i was there was for his baptism which would have been october of 2016 and they had this really nice house i really liked antioch and they were really happy there and you know, it's, it's a cool, because my, my brother-in-law was working on the north side of my sit of the city, and my sister was working from home, so that's why they lived out there, but I mean, like I said, it's so crazy that you would live, because it's like, Antio- <laughs> Antioch is not like, it's not a big town at all.
2: No, we're on the chain of lakes, and there's a lot of nature preserves, it's very rolling and, and beautiful, and not suburban, even though it's a suburb, it's not what you think of, which is why... I like it. I grew up in far southern Illinois in a very small rural town, um, so I grew up about six hours south of where I live now, and so it's nice because while Antioch is larger than where I grew up, I had forty-two kids in my graduating high school class, so that's very rural. Um, and then I went to then I went to University of Illinois with like forty-some thousand students, um, which was also great. But Antioch, I feel like I get the best of both worlds because the look and feel is very small town. It reminds mm-hmm. me of where I grew up, and there's a lot of nature, so we take advantage of that. But then you also have close proximity to the amenities of two major cities, which is great. Yeah. So it's nice.
0: Yeah, I remember my sister, took we took my nephew walking a couple of times on the trail. I think it was maybe like right behind the library, like, there was some really neat mm-hmm. little nature walking trail. I was like, oh, this is really nice. <laughs> so, it is. So yeah, it's a we'll, great area. Yeah, we'll stop gabbing about my family in Antioch, Illinois. Will, do you want to give her a rundown of what we do with the podcast?
1: Yeah, well, you know, 99 episodes ago, we um, had this idea to have a conversation. And Kyle and I really have been having a conversation for the last five years. Or so, and we've had Kyle had the idea to bring to to invent this, to come up with a podcast to talk about to share a teachers' voices. And I say, initially it was just me and I talking about the things that we saw and our viewpoints. And after a few episodes, we were kind of like, you know, we really need to bring in other teacher voices because with people listening, you can get so much. You, people can glean so much from others more than just he and I having a conversation back and forth. And so we started inviting people over and, you know, I said over like they come over, but inviting people to come on and have and share their stories and just kind of put their authentic voices out so that it's not just what's on the TV that we see on the news about education and the troubles and the trials, but it's actually authentic teacher voices who are still, you know, on the front lines and dealing with what we deal with every day so
0: i i love it and we're
1: excited that you're here we're excited i mean episode 99 like we were talking a few days ago and i told kyle it's crazy to think that we've gotten to this point of having 99 episodes and what kyle almost a year
0: and a half maybe yeah a year yeah yep. a year and a half so
1: we're excited that you're here and you're representing that 99th episode so
2: woohoo! yeah me too That's great <laughs>
1: I love it. I love it. All right. So we're going to jump right in to the podcast question. And just for our listeners, can you tell us the story of how why you became a teacher?
2: Well, I don't have the typical story that a lot of teachers tell where they they had a parent that was a teacher or a favorite teacher. And almost every teacher I know is like, I just knew from the time I was in kindergarten or second grade or whatever it was that they wanted to be a teacher. And I had wonderful teachers in a small town, even though I would say, our, and really, I think for everywhere during the time I was growing up in the 80s, school is pretty traditional. It doesn't look like it, it does now. But we had really caring, involved teachers because it was such a small and tight-knit community. So I had, you know, a wonderful experience. Um, I just, that wasn't really what I thought I was going to do. I don't know that I really knew. I I went into college. I really thought I would probably um, end up doing journalism and or some sort of design because I love those two things and um, they came pretty naturally, but also were challenging in a good way. Ironically now, I get to do education and journalism and design type of activities. So life and its path is a really funny thing when you have perspective and you can reflect. Um, but what really turned me on to teaching was when I came home from college and during my first summer, so after my freshman year at University of Illinois in Champaign, and our town had just opened a little daycare called Kitty College, and it was new and progressive and... Um, I thought it would be a great, fun place. I had babysat and things like that. So I thought, well, this would be a good place for me to, you know, get some good work. And I really fell in love with it. So I'm such an experiential learner. And so this doesn't, in reflection, surprise me. But I had to experience working with kids at all different ages. um, And it was hard because... Everyone should have to work in a daycare that is hard work (laughs) that is really hard work it's humbling work and um I found when I got to work with sort of the true pre-k class and then we had kids there in the summer that were out for summer um for summertime out from elementary school that I really enjoyed working with them and learning about them and how they were learning and it just ignited this passion in me. So I returned my sophomore year knowing that that is what I wanted to pursue. And so, you know, applied to the College of Education. It was very nerve-wracking because they reject 75% of the applicants to that program at the University of Illinois, but I made it in. And then once I was able to get into the curriculum, it just, it was such a flow. Like I knew that's where I was supposed to be. And, of course, then I got – I continued to work um, at Kitty College in the summers and got more experiences in classrooms and just became really obsessed with it. And so, um, of course, I love kids. And I I remember always being asked that, like, when I would first be interviewing for jobs. And, of course, I love kids, but that's not really why I became a teacher. I am someone who just loves learning. I'm a – I don't tend to – read for enjoyment and leisure the way most people do, I, if I'm reading, I want to learn something. And I, that's what I love to do. I'm a seeker of knowledge. I always want to learn new things. And so that being something I'm personally passionate about, I found the most joy in it when I was then helping kids develop a love of learning. And so that's really why I decided to dedicate myself to this profession.
0: You could not, there is not enough money on the planet to get me to go to a daycare.
2: (laughs) I'll tell you what, you learn a lot about being a parent at a a young age when you're working in a daycare and you realize you appreciate your own parents a lot more and you see... This is really difficult stuff.
0: <laughs> oh my god, my nep- Like I said, my nephew. I have one nephew that's three and one that's one. And and if you added, if you just doubled them, if there were four of them, they would eat me up. So there's, n- I I just don't know how I would function at a daycare. Well, and
2: I remember being put in the infant room, which that made me the most nervous. Like, oh my gosh, I don't, I'm not a mom. You know, I was 18 years old at the time, and I thought. I just remember rocking two babies, holding them, and pushing simultaneously two babies' little pumpkin seats, trying to keep them all happy and thinking, wow, you don't forget that, you know?
0: Oh my
1: goodness. Wow. Yeah, I guess that would be a very good training ground for, for education. And kind of an, I know for me, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a teacher. And I'm also really big on child development, so I enjoy watching young kids because that whole exploration of everything is kind of new and you get to watch the light bulbs come on. It's like it's almost rapid fire with every, 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 almost every experience. And that, to me, brings joy. That's, that's my kind of happy place with education now, even with, when you have those little light bulb moments. So I can only imagine being in a daycare that you have those, like, consistently
2: Mm-hmm. But, well, and they're but, they're not uh, impacted yet. You're you're seeing them in their most raw, pure stage, which is yeah. really pretty
1: magical. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being a father, watching my own daughter grow and seeing her from you know from birth to now being 12 years old, you still see. It's just, yeah, it's 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 an amazing, amazing. Yeah. I could. I would actually do that. Now, I don't know. I think too many children would be a little overwhelming. But I, I think I would definitely want to just probably maybe look through a looking glass or two-way mirror and watch it.
0: Mm. <laughs> oh, oh, I'll watch it. I will for sure watch it.
1: <laughs> I'm in the middle school now, not elementary.
2: That would be some comic relief if you just stood and watched it, it. It has to be funny because kids are just funny, and adults trying to wrangle kids is even funnier. So uh, definitely,
0: my my three year old nephew and I'm sure you both have seen this phase. But is like like when he doesn't get his way, like he'll start to whine, and if you tell him no a second time, he's like, No, I'm really crying. No, I'm really so sad. And I'm just like, really, dude? Like you're telling me that you're so sad and you're telling me that you're crying, but you're not even actually crying. So
2: Exactly. Don't give in to it, Kyle. He is manipulating you. They are masters.
0: He can. He can because I can I can leave. Like I have the opportunity to just leave. No. So my sister my sister on the other hand cannot.
1: No. That's funny. So to continue on, what in your eyes is the value of a great teacher?
2: Well, I mean, that's immeasurable, right? And I've heard people talk about a typical teacher and over a certain amount of time and the fact that you really, when you calculate it, the ripple effects of that, that you're impacting millions Um, when you think about all of the lives you personally impact and touch and then for each of those people you know how they go on to impact others and the influence you can have so I think like what I find interesting about that question is to me and when I reflect on my teachers that made an impact on me from kindergarten all the way through college and then now at this point having been in the field for 15 years and This summer I attended two high school graduation parties for students that I had in second grade. And then while I was in San Diego for Get Your Teach On, discovered that one of my former second grade students was in college in San Diego and met up with her. So thinking about that from all those perspectives, what I realized is the value is often not your academic impact, okay? And that's what we always hear about academics and numbers and all of those things. And, of course, that's important. But what really impacts all of it and makes the longest-lasting impression is the impact you leave that's about really forming relationships with your students, seeing them for who they are, valuing them as people, and putting those relationships first. And so, to me, that's the true value of a great teacher, um, and that can be where maybe you have those negative experiences in the school. And I hear these a lot from other teachers or now some of my students. It's never like, man, I just ruined because I didn't, didn't like math because I just didn't know my facts. It's not ever really about the subject matter. It's about how they were made to feel or an incident that happened that they just never got over that left that that you know impacted them maybe in a subject area or maybe in other ways of their lives. And so we have this incredible power and it's also an incredible responsibility because our actions and the way we speak to our students and the way we treat them has a completely lifelong impact whether we mean to or not you know and so you always have to be thinking how how you're looking acting speaking and treating every single kid in your class every single day and that's tough it is but it's it's so incredibly important and if you do those things right I have found everything else will fall into place um, so yeah that's that's how I feel about that <laughs>
1: Yeah. Awesome. That's kind of let that. If you know, I love the term "immeasurable," and I think we—I know for me, my 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 previous assignment, I taught at for eleven years, and I had the privilege to teach three different siblings. And when you talk about that impact that teachers have, just just knowing that that one family experienced me as a teacher as a you know, as a teacher, a caring teacher, a compassionate teacher, so much so that the mothers would question, hey, no, put them in Mr. Law's class. I want them there. And seeing now how, you know, one's about to graduate, the other one's coming up behind them, and the one, another one a few years later, it really, it really, you really get to see that impact when you're in a community like that of, okay, I really get to see these kids become young adults and go out and start doing things on their own. And you can't put a price tag on that Mm-mm, no. at all at all. So, so what is one thing that you think all students should be taught?
2: This is a difficult one because there's so much, but as I process thinking about this, I kept coming back to just, I, always wanted to teach my students to think. And I don't mean score well on a test um, or, you know, make the grade and that sort of thinking. Of course, if you're really thinking, those things will fall into place. But to really think, um, regardless of what your standardized test score is, to be able to think and problem solve and think in order to have empathy for other people and to think, to have perspective and be amazing global citizens. And so, you know, so often I had really bright and brilliant students where maybe things came naturally for them in certain areas, but they, they had never been taught how to think about it and how to really problem solve and reason and back their answer up with evidence or apply what they were learning to the greater good or the greater world. And No matter how smart you are or how high you score, if you can't really think and problem solve and apply that to real world things that are going to impact society in a good way, I mean, what's it really worth, right? So I think that's something that was always and is always in my mind and, you know, keeping everything else in perspective. How do I get them to think? How do I get them to think about how their classmate is feeling right now because of something that happened or because of something they're going through at home? How do I get you to think about solving real world problems with your incredible math skills? You know, so always coming back to, are you really thinking about this? And if so, explain it to me. And okay, let's think of it from a different perspective um, and through a different lens. mm,
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. you know but I, I can't i know growing up when i was growing up i i joke and i tell people or not joke and i tell people all the time i think one of the best things that teachers taught us back then was simply that how to think that process of thinking because mm-hmm. then that is transferable when other things can't be you know what i mean like you can't you know, we always talk about that transference and how kids can't take one thing and put it, you know, take it into another uh, aspect. But I think we teach them to think. And they, they become those critical thinkers, those ones who, who can see not only the, the, the small problem, but they also see the big picture in the end game. When you, when you get them there, that, that, that's a powerful place for kids, and especially the kids nowadays, because everything is already so ready, set, go for them anyway.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: well yeah and you that know. brings me to thinking about like in order to really be a good thinker and problem solver it's a lot of character trait lessons you know like real world lessons like perseverance okay so you got the problem right now what explain it to me how could you think mm-hmm. about this a different way how could you solve it a different way how could we apply this to you know situation XYZ um because the answer just isn't enough in the real world and like you're saying that's that's not transferable. Um, and it also, you know, you're going to create better humans if they're thinking and thinking about things in multiple ways, in different ways. And ultimately, you know, as teachers, we, we impact society. So we want real thinkers that can transfer beyond the test. Right. Mm.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is your take on the state of education today?
2: Well, I always like to examine things from multiple perspectives. And the advantage that I have of working with teachers on a national level is that I get to see a lot of different perspectives, right? And all different parts of the country, um, seeing teachers at very different schools with very different demographics. And so I what I've seen is that there's two sides of a very complex coin. Um, The good thing about the two sides I'm going to talk about is it's pretty consistent no matter where I've gone and what teachers I've worked with. So the not so great side, obviously if anyone has been watching the news at all in the last year or so, we are in a time of education where there's a lot of turmoil. There has been a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of anger. And these are all not even attributed to the daily struggles and frustrations and, you know, heartaches that we have with our students every day. This is all beyond that um, with, with things that are on a more national level. And so that has been heartbreaking because we know how dedicated teachers are. We know how passionate they are about their kids and their profession and what they do. And so that's just heartbreaking on the flip side you know you always hear as you look back in history you know it's not so much about the challenges or the setbacks or the failures that you have it's how you how you deal with them how you react to them and so what i've seen is that we've had a lot of nationwide negativity around education and in response to that Teachers have banded together, they've risen up above it, and they're creating their own way. Um, an example is Teacher Heart Out. And, and, you know, many of the other teacher-created and branded conferences that are out there where they're creating their own professional development, they're doing their own part to raise up educators and say, hey, all of this is going on out there. We, we know it. We are doing the best we can to impact it. But at the end of the day, we're here for each other and we're here for our students and we're doing whatever it takes because teachers can do anything. If you can teach, you can do anything. And teachers are some of the most resilient people on the planet. And so like, while I hate what I see going on that's negative um, and impacting our teachers every day and beating them down, In some ways, I'm like, this has been a catalyst for our industry of incredible professionals that are so multi-talented to rise up and to say, we are teachers, hear us roar, we are going to make our own way, and we're going to do it for the greater good, because that's what we're all about. So I wish some things would change. I hope we will see that soon, but teachers are already making their own changes. And so regardless of what happens on a on a bigger national level, a political level, I I hope to see that continue. And if this is something that has come out of some of the frustrating educational aspects and issues and and everything that has been going on recently, then at least that's something incredibly positive that is going to impact so many in, in just the past two years the the amount of teachers that have have been impacted positively and then gone back to their schools and impacted their staff positively from just attending some of these conferences, like where we first met, that's an incredible ripple effect that is spanning the entire country. Um, so, you know, I hope we just continue to see more of that because, in my opinion, teachers who are bonding together and working together are, are unstoppable.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: I concur. <laughs> Can't even add much to that. You, you, you said exactly what I was going to say. Um, that, um, so what is your personal philosophy of education?
2: Well, like I said earlier, most importantly, relationships first. You have to really know your students. That's my favorite part of teaching and you know from that comes my passion and philosophy behind the absolute importance of differentiated individualized instruction Um, of course you have to know your students really well and beyond just the score in order to know you know in a very diagnostic and specific way that you need to differentiate for them is it by content, is it by process, is it by product, is it that they just love Pokemon and so you need to find a way to reach them in every subject through Pokemon and you know right. what, whatever it takes. Um, and then as a subset of that I am extremely passionate about hands on engaging learning experiences. I love immersive project based learning. Obviously I'm passionate about STEM and all of that you know, I always try to keep in mind how do we make this about real world learning and application? I always want to tie everything back to why are we really learning about this? Um, and then I also, I'm passionate about technology, but my philosophy of technology is the integration of truly engaging, creative, high level thinking technology applications. Um, you know when used correctly it can be such a great equalizer for your students regardless of ability language socioeconomic factors when they're in your classroom and you're providing an immersive experience for all of your students that's the greatest thing that's the greatest thing in the world um, right. so so in my classroom you know th- that's really what it looks like and And a huge part of that in order to be able to have hands-on engaging experiences and really differentiate instruction where you've got kids back at your table or you're meeting them at theirs and you have to be able to trust that all the other kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing and engage in their own learning or if you're trying to run a big project-based learning unit, um, I would say the final philosophy is trusting your students and empowering them to take charge of their learning. And this doesn't just happen. You know, now, oh, that sounds great, Lindsay, hmm yeah. No, you have to invest time in training your students on how to be responsible and to take charge of their learning and be engaged. But if you do that, your classroom will be such a well-oiled machine that it enables you to do incredible things
1: with your students. You know, and it's funny you say that because as I'm going, you know, me going back into the classroom this year and kind of rusty, trying to, you know, I'm still shaking the rust off of, you know, coming from being an instructional coach and going back into the classroom. I find myself the last three days really pouring into my kids and letting them know my heart. You know, you said relationships first, and I think that is. To me, it's relationships, period. I think that nothing else is going to transpire in the classroom that's going to be meaningful and impactful to the students if there's first not a meaningful and impactful relationship with them. And my kids were excited because I showed, I did a presentation about who I am so they can know me, my heart. And then I gave them an opportunity to talk about who they were. And the kids wrote these amazing stories about who they are as a student, who they are as a mathematician. And as I was, you know, I took them home and I'm reading them and I asked "Is there anyone who wants to share the next day and no one wanted to share and then finally one little brave soul was like I don't want to share what I wrote but can I just share that I've never had a teacher now mind you, this is sixth grade I've never had a teacher who wanted to get to know me like this.
2: Oh my goodness.
1: And it, 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 You know, Kyle and I had a conversation about it. You know, he was like, you know, who did those kids have? I say, it's not about who they had, it's what they didn't have in their Mhm. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we start looking at what a lot of our kids, especially in a lot of the urban environments, what they're not getting as far as educators who are compassionate and love the craft of what they're doing, it's—I it, mean—it's mind-blowing that that just asking a kid to tell me about you, tell me what you like, what's your favorite color, you know, what you know, what, do you have any pets? You know, my kid loves reptiles. So just, you know, by chance, I didn't plan it, but my my turtle died, my daughter's pet turtle died. So I started talking to him about that, and now we have this relationship where he's giving me all these tips. If you get another turtle, make sure you do this and do that. And to say that I've never had a teacher want to get to know me Mm -hmm. in five years of learning, that's that's an indictment against a lot of teachers who did not connect with the kids.
2: Well, it shows that their experience has been a very industrialized, standardized, factory type of, you know, put the kids through the grades, do the stuff, get the test scores. You know, that's not getting to know your students. Like, I can just picture them, there's um, a great animated speech from Sir Ken Robinson, and he's talking about system of education. If you treat it like an industrialized factory assembly line, you are completely alienating the vast, vast, vast majority of your students. Because just like you're saying, he's, he's what? what did you say, sixth grade? Sixth grade, yeah. He has gone this many years, and you're the first person that's ever shown an inkling of real interest in who he is just to ask him those questions. Simple. So simple. So I think this is such a powerful story for you that we, it doesn't always have to be something over the top that we're doing for our students. It doesn't have to be showy. It doesn't have to make the news. It doesn't have to, no one else ever even has to know about it. it the right. simplest things and actions and words, questions that you can use to engage with your students are what is going to make that lasting impact. He's never going to forget that. He's going to carry that moment. And for a sixth grader to vocalize that to you, I mean, that's even bigger, right? Like, even if he was right. singing it, for him to feel it so deeply, to share that out with you, that shows even what a bigger impact it was on him, and that's going to be carried with him through the rest of his life.
1: Absolutely, and that—that to me, that's, that we talked about that impact of great teachers. That is that impact. Mhm. Yes. So, um, so we met at Teacher Heart out in Las Vegas, and I know Kyle and I both. We came back. We were just so cloud nine um, from that whole experience Um, so what impact do you think teacher driven and teacher led professional development having on the teaching community
2: huge massive I mean I I touched on it a a little bit when we were talking about the state of education today and sort of the positive flip side of the coin Mm -hmm. Um, what's happening with the teachers banding together rising up and creating their own path to success is proof of our resilience and dedu- dedication. It's proof of what can happen when we stand together for the greater good, despite if we agree or disagree on everything. Um, it's it's proof of the massive power and influencers educators have. And I think that's really important because so often, because of all of the external factors and the stress and, in you know, daily grind that this profession has on you, it just does, no matter how positive mm-hmm. you are, um, you often feel like, and especially depending on who your colleagues are, who your administrator is, what your district is going through, um, you often feel like that power is stripped from you. Mm-hmm. Um, it can, education can sometimes be very isolating. You know, there's—I there was times where even my team that I loved, three days would pass and we would be like, oh my gosh, we haven't even seen each other. You know, we haven't, there's no time and you're so focused. Um, It can also be isolating if you're in a situation where you maybe don't have the most supportive colleagues and teams and I've I've been in situations like that too. Um, And then there's so many times where no matter how hard you're trying and how dedicated you are, the weight of everything that you're dealing with every day both within your classroom, within your school district, and then on a larger scale, it can feel like that you've been stripped of your power. And, you know, we, as we said before, teachers have so much power. And, you know, with that comes great responsibility. But I feel like this uprising of these conferences is showing, you know what, we will find a way, we will make a way. We have power, hear us roar. And the great thing is it's all for the greater good, right? And so what I see at all of these different conferences, um, SDE, get your teach on, teach your heart out, happy-go-teach, elevate, um, even more traditional conferences like NCTM and and NSTA, which are not teacher-created, but just, you know, it's nice to see uh, they are teacher-created, but not in the same teacher-branding type of way as some of these newer conferences that have come onto the scene. It's just great to see um, the support, the reignition of passion that, that to me seems to be at the core of all of these. Yes, there are sessions on specific subjects or specific teaching and learning styles and different techniques, but at the heart and core of all of them is this unified dedication and effort to lifting up our educators, helping them overcome the obstacles they're faced with every day, and reigniting their passion for what they, for what they're doing. Cause no one goes into teaching for the fame and fortune, right? You went into this for a purpose. Um, that purpose may slightly vary from person to person, but at the end of the day, it's cause you wanted to do good and feel good and make other people feel good and happy and a positive impact on the world. And, um, you know, on a more practical note, there is nothing better than teacher tested and approved, you know, professional development. It's, it's real experiences from real schools and real classrooms, and that provides teachers with real tips, tricks, and tidbits that they can go back, whether it's something small, like just asking your students questions about themselves that they might take out of, a, you know, a presentation you've given that they thought, you know what, I get so caught up in everything that I forget to ask those questions. Or if it's something much larger, like totally transforming the way they teach math. Um, um. But when it's coming from real stories from real classrooms, that's what's going to make real impact. And then that leaves, you know, like we keep saying, ripple effects that just continue to have positive influence on others.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think, too, you know, with that, I think it's, you know, a reflection, too, of the way our society is. It, it seems like whether it's, you know what's going on with race or with, um, you know, school violence or the Me Too movement, you know, the people are really driving change in all of these different areas of life. And, And I'm proud, like you said, that teachers are doing the same because, you know, in a system where every state has the right to dictate what education is, nothing's really going to change on a, on a big level unless we as teachers change it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. And like you're saying, you know, with a lot of other things happening in the world, I've just been thinking over the last, especially the last year, but the last couple of years, as we've seen this educational movement really growing, blossoming. I mean, look at your pod, look at this, look at your 99 podcasts that you've done. This is incredible. Um, But, you know, I've thought a lot about my grandparents. And I still have two living grandparents that are from the the greatest generation. I mean, they've lived through the Great Depression, how many wars, you know, all sorts of different historical, racial, economic, you know, situations of turmoil and and tragedy and everything else. And there's a reason they're the greatest generation. Like, I, I feel like they had to do what we're seeing happening in society right now where people are standing up and saying change isn't going to happen unless we make it happen. And so, you know, I just, I hope this continues because, like you said, this is this is really the only way we're going to see that widespread impact. Right.
1: Absolutely. And it's you know, Kyle and I always often say that, Teachers are the 1% of the population in the U.S. that controls the 99, that has the power to influence the 99.
2: Oh my goodness, I love that!
1: And that is where we kind of hang our hat. You know, because we, I don't think a lot of teachers really see that. You know, when they're doing this. And I, I like I say, when, I said it when we came, when went to Las Vegas, that that, that was truly like a teacher tribe that I belonged to mm-hmm. because there was so much energy of people and purpose of this is we're coming together to band together. And that, again, we, our, our whole motto is we want to return the value of the teaching craft. That, were the, that was a time where teachers had value in society, where mm-hmm. teachers were the thinkers, teachers were looked upon to be those decision makers and you. You wanted something done. You talk to a teacher, you know. Right. And now it's kind of a joke where it's like, "Oh no, talk to a teacher," you know, ha ha ha. But yeah. the reality is, is no, that that's really what it was, and that's that's what it is. Because again, like you say, we can do anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You well, know, I do some... like... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead.
2: I was going to say, there's so many societies outside of our own country where teachers are still king. You know, I have mm-hmm. friends and family internationally, and I've had, you know, wonderful teaching assistants um, who have taught in other countries and unfortunately are not able to transfer their, um, their degree to teach here in America. Um, that's a whole other conversation, but they are shocked at the way educators in this country, what they are seeing as someone with a different perspective coming in and observing, and they are shocked and appalled at the way we are viewed and spoken about and, you know, that lack of real respect and seeing teachers as the profession that makes all others possible because, in their experience, in their country, teachers are still seen that way and treated that way. And so getting those perspectives in real time, you know, is, is pretty eye-opening and shocking. And it makes it even, it just makes you think about it even more deeply.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and, I, and I think back to your point, Lindsay, about how the little things matter. And I know, you know, from my experience, if, if I would have had the understanding that I have now of how the little things I do matter to my kids, I would have approached it way different. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I don't think I'm alone in the fact that I didn't understand as a new teacher, or even up until the last few years, like, just how impactful, almost every decision, every decision I make has impact. Mm -hmm. And I think we, whether we undervalue ourselves because we don't think we have impact or we don't have impact because we undervalue ourselves, like, I mean, we really need to start hammering the point home to teachers that every single, there, there are no like zero sum things. You're either making your kids' lives better or you're making them worse with every, every choice you make.
2: Well, and I think part of it is because it, I hate to make generalizations, but I every teacher on the whole, most every teacher I've ever met, they're typically pretty humble individuals, okay, for whatever reason. And so I think part of it is just, you know, and, and when then you don't have a society that's pumping you up and you feel like they're beating you down, yeah, you don't see your full impact because... You're too close to it, you know, and going off of what you were saying, Will, about your tr- finding that tribe at the conference. I see that really magnified because at Teacher Heart Out in some of the other places I speak, the session I do is about um, teacher empowerment and support and well-being. And I always think like what you're saying right now, Kyle, I'm always like, they already know this. I don't, I'm not going to make a big impact or I don't know if they're really going to listen. And every time I walk away and I'm like, Lindsay, don't tell yourself that because they're all looking for their tribe. Every single person that I've ever spoken to in my fire starter sessions on the topics of, you know, empowerment, wellness, support, and, you know, keeping your fire lit as a teacher there's tears. I mean, because this is a real universal issue in our, in our profession that we, at least up until this point, we haven't really talked about teachers, are, you know, they're, they're doers. They don't, we, on the most part, have not really felt empowered enough, I think, to openly talk about a lot of these things. And that door has been opened in large part, I think, due to these conferences um it's given me the ability to talk about my own experiences and difficulties and hardships and you know be able to work with and learn from other teachers who share their stories and guess what we're all doing exactly what you said you came away with we're all looking for our tribe and to feel that support from people that can really understand um it's hard for people that aren't in education to understand what you're talking about <laughs> when you're when you're trying to explain to them some of the challenges or struggles or worries that you have on a daily basis because we are just in a really unique and multifaceted industry that i believe is like no other so if if these can just help people find their tribe, I mean that in and of itself is such a huge gift that I think is so important.
0: When well, I and I look at one of the people from Teacher Heart Out, that like in the, like Brittany Wheaton to me is so incredible on just so many levels. But like mm-hmm. even five years ago. Doing classroom makeovers for people would have not, I mean, it didn't even exist. And not only is she like getting to work in her element, but she's having such an impact for so many people and like, and not just her, but how, how much different are classrooms? I feel like classrooms look so much different now than they did even five years ago. And it's because of things like that where there's there's the inspiration that you said that people are really understanding the impact of of what that classroom environment is like that. There's real impact in there in how you put your classroom together. And, you know, we we don't all have to do what Brittany does, but it's like I said, those little steps that you do to make your classroom just that much more inviting or that much friendlier or whatever it is, they make a difference for kids.
2: And to make it you, I mean, the reason that I think so many reasons why what she's doing is so impactful and powerful, but I think the greatest part of that is that she is speaking her authentic truth. She's living her authentic truth. This is her jam. You know, this is what brings her the greatest joy. This is how she feels she's able to impact and empower educators in her own way like for you might not be that way I don't know maybe you're an interior design guru as well but but you know you might have you guys are doing this in your own way through um, your podcast not everybody is comfortable speaking like this or conducting something like what you're doing and so the nice thing is um, I think we are also feeling empowered to Really embrace our individuality and like use our voices. That are we're educators as a whole, but each of us has something unique to offer and like run with it. And so she is so fully doing that. That is why I think, aside from just the fact that the makeovers are so phenomenal and it's so exciting and and, and so wonderful, but she is just blazing with herself and like what she's doing and her her true gift that she's giving to educators in
0: our industry. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic. She came up and said hi to me at Teacher Out and talked to me about our podcast, and I just about fell over. <laughs> I was like, I
2: That's awesome. I can't
0: believe you actually talked to me.
2: I know, and the, and the first time I met her, I think it was her, or it might have been Daniel and I, they were standing together, and they said, we had no idea you were so tall, I was like, really? But again, just so warm and welcoming, and like, mm-hmm. just it just made me feel, uh, because I didn't know everybody, and it just made me instantly feel embraced, and I, again, that's another gift that she has. Then she hmm. uses her makeovers as a way to put that out to people.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So so will I'm I'm looking at her time frame and we're like pushing the hour mark. So I'm thinking maybe we should just kind of stay on this topic and we'll we'll have Lindsay on again and we can do a strictly math related podcast. Because if you two get yep. talking about math, we might be here till midnight.
2: Oh, my gosh. And then and then, if you get into math within STEM, like, oh, yeah. ouch, we need time. We need, we need a yeah. curricular discussion, and this is more of our philosophical discussion.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I think this discussion is probably, you know, working with the teachers. This is a brand-new team that I'm on right now. I have no teachers that I've taught with on my team. And I think this topic that we're talking about right now – Of how they embrace students and and really giving teachers the proper perspective of their purpose in the classroom. I think that's so overlooked in so many aspects of of education. It's not in teacher preparedness programs. It's not in mentoring programs. It's not you know uh, it's not until it's not unless until recently that it's even become a spotlight in, in PDs because there was really no PDs about building positive relationships with students. You know, there was mm-hmm. some, most of them outdated, most of them teaching you, you know, things that people say, oh, this will work because this was written about in the 70s and theoretically this happens. But the kids are different. The times are different. Classrooms are different. Mm-hmm. So I think well, this and, and one this side doesn't fit so all.
2: One size doesn't fit all. Like, I think in the past, things like that were delivered like, oh, well, you just love kids, and you just do these five things, and then everything's going to be okay. And we just know uh, teachers are not all the same. Schools are not all the same. Our students are definitely not coming to us with all of the same experiences, backgrounds, what they go through in the morning just to get to school. So to be able to have, and the necessity to have these broader discussions about, what this really looks like in real classrooms is so important, and I just like you're saying, I, it just was not something that was talked about at least not in this way in the past
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so um, yeah, so so to wrap up lindsay on on this part, so what are some things that you know besides you know, what we do online or what we go to conference, how, how can, you know, and to Wilkie's point, how can we empower the teachers that are around us? Like, what are some of the things we can do?
2: So what I've really been experiencing in the last year since I started talking about educator empowerment and engaging in that in different ways and thinking about, you know, it's kind of cool. I'm at a point where, I'm like a veteran in this field right it really just means I'm getting old but a decade (laughs) and a half is a long time and as I was trying to prepare for my first time speaking on this at teacher heart out earlier this year I was thinking about how teachers felt different ways they felt their power was taken away different ways I have felt that way I worked in a school where there was Staff systematic bullying. I mean, crazy things, like from mild all the way to crazy things. And I think one of the biggest takeaways I had and why I started presenting on this is because we don't, it was like the unspoken, we never talked about educator empowerment. And what does that even mean? And, and what are you struggling with? Um, because if you're a truly good educator, you're most likely not the gossiping, complaining person that is just all the time negative in in the lunchroom, right? I know there were so many times where I was going through things or on a team where I felt completely unsupported or having a difficult year, and I didn't want to be that person, right, because I love what I do. I love my students, I'm passionate, and I didn't want to be the complainer. What I've learned through experience and a lot of reflection and a lot of inspirational books and things that I've listened to that aren't even related to education that I've tried to put into my trainings and my, what I talk about through the lens of education is that you've got to get out that toxic stuff and have not complaining sessions, but discussions like we're having about real issues and real struggles, empowerment can't happen unless you face what's going on. So, you have to be able to have opportunity and courage and support to talk about the real issues that are going on, you know, beyond your classroom walls, the real issues that are going on within your classroom walls, and the real issues that maybe you yourself are just personally, professionally struggling with. Once we can do that, that's the first step to opening the floodgates to real empowerment. So, whether it's through additional professional development, whether it's someone who has stumbled upon your podcast and this is like their beacon of light, you know, that they look forward to on their drive to work every day, or it's a support network that comes out of one of these conferences, or Um, a professional development book they've read or a session they've attended that gets them so fired up for transforming something in their classroom that it reignites that passion and empowers them. All those things, again, it's about relationships. We can't get to that unless we empower educators to feel like they've found their tribe. They can openly discuss these real issues that are going on and that can get to a point where they really beat you down and take that power away from you, address that, have have productive conversation about it, and then focus on what can we do to proactively fix some of these things, deal with some of these things, and, and empower each other.
0: Yeah, and, and what stood out to me from what you said is you know, I was definitely that person, too, and, and Wilkie can asset, uh, or attest to this because when we met, like, I was that person that was like, don't complain. Like, I was going through real, like, problems in my classroom, and there were real doubts that I had, and there were real things that I was wanted to talk about, but I didn't want to be a complainer, and by the time, you know, four years of not being a complainer, um, when I got to the school where Wilkie and I met, like I was just in such a bad spot, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: both personally and professionally. And he was the first person that recognized it, you know, and, and from there, you know, the reason where he, and that was really the genesis of how the podcast started is he didn't talk to me about, you know, what I was specifically teaching in my classroom. He, he just started talking to me about what was going on. And it was really a conversation, you know that that is really the the start of of what this is, and and like I said, I think the key thing you said is the we have to as teachers, if we are having trouble, we have to find a space where we can talk about it, in ways. And Wilkie and I were talking about this earlier, like in ways where we can both have empathy, but but work on solutions. And also, we got to work on being the kind of people that, you know, when there are teachers that are struggling, that they feel comfortable coming to us, you know, to say the things that are on their mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and to have conversations that, you know, I'm proud that as, as I look at a lot of the conferences I've been at or things I'm seeing online, things that people are talking about on podcasts, whether it's self-care or teachers that are struggling with anxiety and depression or it's, it's larger scale issues like race, equity, things that, I mean, we deal with society, so we deal with it all. But a lot of these topics, whether they're very personal or they're something on a larger scale, they were not openly discussed not in my experience and not from what I'm hearing from a lot of teachers that are so happy to be talking about real world issues and and real self issues. And so I feel like between social media networking and podcasts like yours and these conferences, that gate has really been open. People are talking about things that I have never in 15 years of teaching seen educators so openly talk about. And um, I feel like that can only have positive ripple effects. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that that sounds like just about a perfect spot to stop. We have some (laughs) kind of wrap-up questions, but since we know you got to come back and do a math session we'll we'll save the wrap up questions for the next time but oh thank you so much Lindsay for coming on the podcast and like i said i we had such a good time getting to hang out with you at teach your heart out that we were super thrilled to have you and we like i said we really we really appreciate it oh my gosh i'm so
2: grateful and this I mean, you guys just empowered me. This was so great. I was like, they want to talk to me on the podcast? I can't believe this. I'm so excited. Um, So I, I really appreciate it. And you both are fabulous. You're inspiring so many people. Don't forget that. I know, you know, through the nature of a podcast, you're not necessarily in front of a live audience, but you just have to know what an influence you're having. Keep doing it. It's incredible, and I'm just humbled and grateful to have been a part of it. And I really hope that I can have the opportunity and privilege to come back and talk about uh, and geek out about
1: math and STEM. Mm, absolutely. absolutely, absolutely
0: one one hundred percent. We'll let we'll let the year kind of get on a little bit, and we'll we'll mm-hmm. make it happen. But again, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, guys.